Hello, this is Kev, and welcome to the Life Success Engineer Podcast. This podcast is all about taking massive action in your life and business. Having the grit, the tenacity, the vision, the courage to take life on and achieve your goals. And also, in business, building a business of scale, automation, and systems. This podcast will share with you the strategies for you to take massive action on. Let's go. So, Jake, you are an absolute, you're awesome at this, clearly, because what was mind-blowing to me is that you managed to build your business to over $60,000 in 30 days while you were still working full-time. It was exhilarating to know that, all right, all right, we're getting to the next part of what this looks like, you know, more freedom, more things like that, so. And I'm super excited to go into this story, and uh, let me just point it up here, there you go, that you wanted to quit the job by the June, and you posted this on the 19th of June. I actually started in March of 17, so it's kind of funny that we're talking about this in March of 20, because somewhere it has my first order ever on it, and I gotta find it, and uh, I, I wanna say it's like March 19th maybe or something, so we're like almost on the dot to that day. It was the 9th of December 2019 when Jake Diego put a fantastic post up on his Instagram profile and his post sent something like this. One million in sales lifetime since March 2017. And I'm super excited to go into this story and uh, let me just point it up here. There you go. Go into this story share Jake's story, everything that he's done, and the road to a million dollars on Amazon. So thanks very much for your time today, Jake. I'm super, super excited to to share your journey with everybody. Thank you for having me on, Kev. It's a pleasure to be here, so ask whatever questions you'd like to know. Absolutely. So the purpose of this is just to just to talk about the journey from just getting started to what does that journey look like for somebody to get to seven figures online and the journey of, of the getting started, navigating your way through the world that is Amazon. And uh, ultimately, just recently, you've, you know, you've put this post up, which is a fantastic achievement. It's an amazing achievement, and we're just going to reverse engineer absolutely everything. So I'm super excited. So for somebody that doesn't know you, Jake, do you want to just give a, a little bit of a sort of a, a beginning story? Who's Jake? What made you get interested in getting started on Amazon in the first place? Absolutely, absolutely. So I, I always wanted to do something business-wise. Um, I tried a couple things earlier, and... Uh, just to name a few, like trading stocks and options and also learning about real estate. And although I might revisit the real estate thing, you know, I learned a lot through all this. And again, ultimately the goal is to, uh, to become a business owner. So my friend in one of my uh, groups, in one of my, in my public speaking group, excuse me, in my public speaking group said that every time she goes online, she always looks at that used in new category on Amazon. So at the time I found my uh, old Game Boy, which is just like, my little handheld device that you play Nintendo games on just for some people that may be a little bit younger. <laughs> and oh, I remember, I remember the game that. for it. 
Yeah, yeah, it's hard to describe. It's those kind of vague, but handheld device, you know. Uh, so I wanted the game that I used to play on it. So I went to Amazon. I checked that used a new category, and I ordered one of the ones that was in working condition and had a good save battery. And anyways, it came to me, and the envelope was just a plain envelope, and it was handwritten actually with actual postage stamps on it. And I opened it up, and I went okay, and I played the game, whatever. And I thought to myself, wow, I could do this. And then I just started learning about Amazon and how to sell on the platform and be a third-party seller. And so just bunny trail, bunny trail, bunny trail. Yeah, wow. Yeah, because the, everybody has their own origin story. Everyone has their own um, unique way of how they were introduced to Amazon. I don't, think, uh, I don't think I've ever had sort of two people say exactly the same thing, what their origin story was. So, you know, your origin story is fantastic. So you learned about this opportunity called Amazon. And uh, what did you do at that point, Jake? Did you, um, what was those first few days? Can you remember and recall how that sort of felt like as a, as a beginner at that point? Uh, well, of course it was scary, but... I just went to, you know, I Googled Amazon seller. Maybe I just Googled Amazon seller. And then that brought up Amazon seller central. I went to create an account and it just asked, I want to say back then it was just the bank account and ID, I think, I think. And then I created an account and I, I originally started going to actual pawn stores and finding more video games. So typically another Nintendo game boy cartridge and, um, and finding those and then listing them and they would sell. And then I just kept repeating it until ultimately I was like, well, I might find seven games a week. I'd like to find 70. And then I started looking elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Because in my story, um, before I started Amazon FBA for film up by Amazon, I actually went to a, um, a secondhand a charity store uh, called Sue Ryder here in the UK. And uh, we did it like an apprentice challenge of the family. Um, where we all had like £10 each and we had to turn that £10 into more money. So what we were doing is we were, we would, we thought, okay, we'll just go to charity stores and see if we can buy something to sell for more money. But we actually ended up in, on eBay originally. I, that's how I started. I was like eBay originally. But with eBay, the problem with that is I had to go to the post office while still working full time. So the, the whole idea of FBA did you ever have the feeling, because I always thought that Amazon, whenever I purchased anything from Amazon, I was just purchasing it from Amazon. I didn't realize those third party sellers like me and you. Did you ever, did you ever think that? Did you ever, did you know that those third party sellers or was, did you always think that it was Amazon as well? No, I was the same way, Kev. I always thought that when you bought something on Amazon, it was coming from Amazon until I, like I say, I looked at those used in new categories and then I realized that, oh. There's, it's like a marketplace, like an eBay with the fulfillment attached to it. Yeah, exactly. So that, that's a whole process in itself in terms of, you, so you, you create the account. I think that's where everybody should start, obviously. You can't be an Amazon seller if you don't have an Amazon account. So you, you're just sort of taking action in that direction where you just create an account. And at what point did you start? So you started with, with uh, did you go into retail arbitrage, online arbitrage? What was you doing at this point, right right at the start? Because you was working full-time as well at the time, obviously. Yeah, yeah, I was working full-time. So at the time, it was just the retail arbitrage. So 
literally going into the pawn store and finding video games that, you know, I could buy for seven and sell for 27 or what have you. And just another just interjection here. I actually started in March of 17. So it's kind of funny that we're talking about this in March of 20, because if I had the, yeah. I have the sheet somewhere, it has my first order ever on it. And I got to find it. And uh, I, I want to say it's like March 19th, maybe or something. So we're like almost on the dot to that day. It's kind of interesting. Just realize that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So that's three years ago. So we're, you know, three years ago, you were just getting started. How did you feel when you, when you got that first sale? What, what did that feel like? Was that a, was that a moment of a real like, oh my God, this is possible. I'm going to work harder, longer. I'm going to make it happen. Or what, what did you go through emotionally at that point? Yeah. Yeah. I was just so thrilled that it actually, I listed it, it sold and I shipped it to that person. I was just thrilled. And, and at the same time I thought, Oh, I made all this money and whatever. And then, and then when you look at what you paid for the goods and what the fees are and everything, you're like, okay, well I made $4 on it or whatever. It's like, all right, that's still pretty cool. Absolutely. So, so you go all in. So what did you do as a, cause obviously you've quit your job since, but what, what was you doing full time at that point? At that point, I think I was doing safety and health at that point, I think. So like OSHA and EPA stuff for a, for how, a private company. Yeah. And, and, and how did that work in terms of your, your lifestyle at that time? Because obviously everybody starts and they've got a full time job. I was an electrical engineer, you was in health and safety. So was you, how did you manage your days in those early times? Was it just put a stop to everything? Was you just going into sacrifice mode where you maybe didn't spend as much TV time or go out on the weekends or um, what did you do at that point? Did you just go all in on your side business at that time? Uh, yeah, basically. I mean, I was watching a little bit of TV at the time, but I had already tapered it way back since about 2008. And so I really let that go. And then I was gaming a little bit, so playing some video games here and there. So I more or less let that go um, at the time to make that time so that after work, I could go to the pawn store, to the stores. And then I, I quickly got into online arbitrage. You sort of asked that question earlier, and I, <laughs> I never really answered it. But I quickly, probably a month in, month and a half in, I got into online arbitrage. So buying video games online. Yeah, which of course, it, it ultimately gives you a little bit more time to be on the, using your laptop or your, your computer instead of you know, traveling around the different stores. But for, for somebody who, and, and while we're just touching on, you know, trying to juggle a, a full-time job and a sort of part-time business, What's some of the best advice that you could give to somebody who is looking at an online business right now, looking to get started? You've got a, you've got a young family. You've got some children as well. How did you and what would you recommend to others on how they, how they sh should consider juggling their time from day to day? It's tricky. It really is. I would take a look at what you're doing before you go to work and what you're doing after you go to work and see that makes after work. There we go. <laughs> and then to see, what are you spending your time on? Is there things such as TV or playing video games or something that's reading the news or something that's not useful that you could let it go so that you can make the time for it? So with, like I say, with me, it was mainly stopping the video games and that and just 
uh, getting up a little bit earlier, working on that a little bit in the morning and then also in the uh, evening. And I think I, I, yeah, and I also started mixing it into my lunch hour too. So, yeah. So for, 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 for some of you guys that, that don't know Jake and you've maybe not seen any previous uh, interviews with him. So Jake, you are an absolute, you're awesome at this clearly because what was mind blowing to me is that you managed to build your business to over $60,000 in 30 days while you were still working full time. To me, I've always thought that was like mind blowing how you were managing to work full time. And I think it wasn't, it wasn't this Q4 just gone. It was the previous Q4. You, you'd surpassed $63,000 in, in, in 30 days. And then, and you were still working, which is mind blowing. So you are the, you're the ultimate uh, productivity um, advisor at this point. So you, you, you was doing something right. So you recommend just sort of like, okay, what do you do first thing in the morning? What do you do last thing? And, and just sort of cut out anything that's not productive. Yeah, yeah. So one of the, actually, now that it's, it's amazing, by the way, that you remember that number so well. Nice job. I actually didn't remember until you said it, but uh, it's funny you brought that up. Uh, one of the things like for, for an exact advice is you actually gave me this task and you said to, uh, to write down in a notebook, you know, what you have going on, like, what are you doing now? And write it down. And when you change task, write it down. And when you change task, write it down and then collect, I don't know, a week's worth of data and then see, well, what are you doing here? How many t hours did you spend doing this and that and this and that? So that made me, that made me think of that to, you know, quantify it. Yeah, because you don't realize how much time you may be spending in, in maybe some just you're losing time somewhere where you don't realize that you may be attached to your phone or you are, um, you're busy being distracted. So one of the things that I always thought, and um, I, I recommend this all the time, is I recommend that you should try to plan a, what I call a, a, an outstanding day or a perfect day. So what would your day look like if everything went your way? So what time would you wake up? And I know you're really early riser. What time do you usually get up, Jake? Right around 5, 5.30. Around about 5. So whatever time you want to wake up, so let's say you wanted to get up at 5 a.m. So in your perfect day, you would get up straight away in your you know, 5 a.m. What would you do in your first hour? What would you do in your second hour? If you've got children and you maybe have to get them ready for school, what are you doing during that time? And it gives you a bit of a target. I think everybody who, who builds businesses needs to have like a, a target, a goal. And that's why I design like the perfect day. So if I had a perfect day, I would do this during my dinner time or you know, between 2 p.m. and 4 p.m., I would maybe work on this particular area of my life. Um, so it, did you ever, do you ever do anything like that to try fitting in everything that you want to fit in just to challenge yourself and go into sort of that consistency mode of trying to consistently take action? Like some things I do are routine, uh, such as when I wake up, I do like this guided meditation. I actually, we might've talked about that in the last one, but it's, if you Google, uh, six phase meditation, there's like a vision Lakiani guy. And he's got it there on YouTube and it's free. So I've been doing that for a long time. And it, and, it's, and it goes along those lines where you're, there's many steps to it, but one of the steps is your perfect day. You know, what, how does it go? How does it flow? What are the things that are happening 
during it. Um, so, because so yeah, so I'd say routines are probably my big thing. So such as the morning routine or uh, before going to the gym, that kind of stuff, which right now isn't so feasible, but you get what I mean. So doing a routine or having a schedule. Yeah, and, and how impactful has that been to ultimately the result that you've had, being able to quit your job? You've, you've surpassed over a million dollars at this point because there has to be discipline. There has to be um, your willingness to say no to things and say yes to your business. So how, in, how impactful has that been to the outcome of your life, really? I would say probably the main reason, and that's because that way I know you know, Saturday, this is, this is back in the day, this is back in 2019, but I knew like Saturday I'd be outsourcing and, you know, Monday we'd see what, what we have going on with the repricer and Tuesday, you know, do any type of Amazon FBA returns, that kind of stuff. So I, every day had like something loosely in it, but then at the same time there was the all the time things such as the morning routine and such as those other activities. Yeah. And it's a really important point because we are going to talk about the ins and outs of uh, the Amazon journey that you've had. And uh, we'll get into some, some tips and the technicalities of that. But um, I think it's a big thing, especially when you've got such a busy life in terms of, you know, you've got work, you've got family, you've got your health and fitness, you want to go to the gym, you want to look after yourself. There's so many things to, to juggle. So if you, if you go into a business with the right mindset, obviously it helps. So let, let's talk a little bit about your, your Amazon journey then. Let's start because everybody fails at the beginning, okay? that You must have had some failures at the beginning. And, and everybody, uh, you know, when, we, when you start taking action, you may have that fear of failure. And you might have like, oh, oh, I didn't do this right. I didn't do that right. Is there any sort of Amazon failures that you had that you could share with others to avoid? I know I've just put you on the top of the spot and, you know, and spot here, but um, is there anything that comes to your mind there, Jake? I guess I wish I would have probably transitioned sooner to FBA because I was doing all fulfilled by merchant in the beginning. And then not until basically like a little bit during December 17 with some video games, I sent them in FBA and then I saw, wow, (laughs) it just sells right away. And then, in uh, in 2018, I transitioned way more into FBA. So I guess I guess that's kind of the one that came to comes to mind as far as I wish I would have done it sooner. Uh, as far as mistakes, though, probably the one that comes to mind there is just finding multiple categories to sell in because I was like really focused on video games. So the video games at the pawn store, and then like I say, I, that wasn't enough. So online arbitrage. So video games at GameStop, and then eventually they, I couldn't buy games from GameStop anymore. So I wished anyways that I had more categories at that point and I didn't wait so long. It would probably be mistake wise. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's huge. What a great tip that is because when, when everybody gets started, um, it really depends on your seller central account where, you know, Amazon are going to tell you what you can and can't sell due to their restrictions and, um, their gating process. So it, it's different for everybody. But a, a big tip that you've just had there and a big tip that you've just shared is when, when, you, when you are trying to sell and you're trying to get up and running, having a wider net obviously helps. Instead of you, in your case, you went really narrow. You went video games and you probably didn't look at anything else at that time. When I first started, I just went toys and games. 
Now, toys and games, I would probably say, is sort of big, a lot wider category than maybe video games. But um, I recognize very, very quickly as well. I started in the June of 2015 toys and games, and by the August, so literally like within a month, month and a half, I'd already, I was already looking at the health and personal care and beauty items because I recognize that we, we need to spread the net because if I can't find enough products in toys and games, I may find some in health and personal care as well. And I assume that that's, that's what your, your thought process was as well. Yeah, keep the sales a little more consistent, you know, because otherwise, as with like toys, you have birthday parties all year, so they're kind of whatever. But something like sports and outdoors, you know, that's only going to have certain months that it's really flying. Yeah, yeah. So, okay then. Um, so somebody who's getting sourcing, somebody who's getting started, and uh, we're looking for the first products to to sell. What would your what what did you do to really ramp it up? Because at some point you must have you must have taken some action that really allowed you to to start skyrocketing. Because nobody goes from you know, just getting started selling some video games to, you know, over $63,000. And you actually did last year over $100,000, right? In 30 days. Yeah, yeah. I had 103 one month, I believe. It was crazy. So you had a $103,000 month. So how do you start to scale? How did you start to become scalable? So the transition from just doing the pawn shop to doing the OA was definitely helped. Uh, because I could buy more in bulk and, and, and such. But, you know, that only helps so much, I would say, because like I said in some other videos, the first nine months was 123000 So then in 2018, there we go, expanding the categories helped. But then also starting to, I saw your program and starting to learn how to hire virtual assistants and how to get some more help in that area. What is manual sourcing? What is tactical arbitrage? So uh, getting the help with the VAs pro mostly, and then also just expanding those categories. And then it would be a prep and pack. So I'm kind of throwing a lot at you here, but those three things. So categories, VAs, and prep and pack. Yeah, I mean, it's huge because, I mean, they're, they're major systems. They're major systems in this business model. When, when you're thinking about any physical, uh, any physical products model on Amazon, whether that is... Um, online arbitrage or retail arbitrage or wholesale or even private label, you've got major systems and, and uh, yes, those major systems are sourcing. You know, you've got to source your products and you've just said the prep and pack, which is the prepping and the, the, the shipping of your items. You know, they're very time consuming tasks. So for you to outsource them and, and start to introduce team members, that's the only way you really grow to that next level. One of the best things that I am, um, one of the, the best sort of uh, analogies that I try to share is Jeff Bezos himself, you know, the owner of Amazon. If you think of the leverage that Jeff Bezos has, if you think of the entire automation of Amazon, he's only one person. He's no different from me or you, right? He's, he's no different. He's obviously he's been around for a little bit longer and he's in one, you know, he's the richest man in the world and he's created a, and a machine, a beast when it comes to Amazon, but he can't get any more time. He has no more time than me or you. What he does is he gets 
a lot more done every day. Because if you think about it, he has, how many staff members does Amazon have now? Over 500,000? And they're employing an extra 100,000 now? Well, plus 100, yep. <laughs> yeah. So that's a lot of work being done every day. And then Amazon, have you known any company, um, could you recommend any other, or could you share any other company that's more automated than Amazon is? Not that I know of, no. Incredible. Like, Jeff is the ultimate leverage machine. He, he at scale, it's incredible. And the point I'm trying to make there is the more leverage that you get, the more automation that you have, naturally, you're going to get more work done. So when you started to grow your business, what was that like when you, when you got your first team member? How, how, how did that go there, Jake? What did you do? How did you recruit that person? And what was that like? Yeah, I, I believe, where did I find her? I don't know if it was the Facebook group first or if it was uh, Upwork or not Upwork. Yeah, Upwork. Um, I think it was actually Upwork first. Yeah, I got my first virtual assistant on Upwork by basically just posting that I was looking for a sourcer. And uh, just really briefly, you will uh, research, you know, U.S. retail stores for products that we can ultimately bring to the Amazon marketplace. And of course, it had more stuff than that. Uh, it was uh, it was a bit of a learning experience because the the best way that you can do this is by just being super super specific. So um, bad example. Hey, I got one in my pocket right now. So I I my yeah that's a long story with the kids this morning. But anyways, so if I was gonna do one of these, <laughs> if I was gonna do one of these for a sock, how to put your socks on? I would first like identify what we're looking at. So you got the toe of the sock, you got the heel of the sock, and you got the opening. And then, you know, step one, you know, hold the opening of the sock. Step two, you know, place it down by your foot. Step three, pull it up. Step four, make sure the heel's where your heel is. You know, you understand? So try to be extremely, <laughs> extremely specific. That's absolutely <laughs> brilliant. That's the first time I have ever heard a working procedure for putting on a sock <laughs> but I love that I love the fact that you've got a sock in your pocket and uh, you've just you've just written a working procedure for a for a sock but I think the the point is I think the point is great you've got to assume that a, a person does not know what you know so you know how to put a sock on and if you're going to share it with somebody, how to use this object, which they're like, they might not even know what that sock is. Well, how, what, what do you do with it? What is it used for? What's the outcome? What does it look like when it's, get, when, when it's finished? Um, when, what are the exact steps? And I know we're talking about a sock randomly, but... Um, <laughs> well, she didn't want green was the deal. She wanted pink, so anyways. <laughs> I forgot I even had it in there, and then I went, hey... <laughs> yeah, but I mean, from a business point of view, a bit more a complex point of view, from a sourcing point of view, it is, you know, what what is it that we're actually doing? So you've got to educate them, like what it is that, what is your criteria? What products are you looking for? What category are you looking for? How many products are you looking for each day? How do you do it? Like if you're going to do just copy and paste, what exactly are you looking for? You've got to, the, one of the best um I'm not sure where I got this from, but 
you need to be able to give a working procedure to somebody who has no idea and they should be able to get that task done. That's how thorough your working procedures need to be. Would you agree? Absolutely. So like if you're going to do something about adding a product to inventory, the first step will be like open a browser in your computer. Open a web browser. Yeah, because you wouldn't know. To us, it's obvious. And, and I think this is a, a real key, key lesson learned. Your mind and the, you know, the, the intelligence that you've got and you know, through experience, through memory, through learning, somebody else has no idea. So when you say, oh, add products to Amazon, they're like, well, where do I do that? Do I do that in this book right here? Or um, do I do it in these supplements right here? Some, some product placements right here. <laughs> but you're right. You have to be super, super, super specific. Like open a browser on your, on your laptop. Go to URL, whatever the URL is. Click on this button. So do you have any, do you have any sort of uh, tips in terms of best practices um, that you would recommend to anybody creating procedures, would you say? Yeah, the main one is just being so specific. And then also, you know, people might not know what a sock looks like. So have an image of that browser or of the Amazon seller homepage. And then if it is, you're going to add something inventory, then have a little red box over catalog and show the drop-down menu where it says add a product and have another little red box that has a, is around add a product. So use diagrams with arrows or boxes or what have you in pictures um, so that you're, you just have another, not everybody learns by just reading something, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Exactly, 100%. And that's why the more you put into it, the better it is. Because if you could create a video, if you could do screen captures, I always try to do screen captures and just talk while I'm doing it on screen. Um, we try to do documentation as well. But ultimately, the, the objective here is for you to be able to say to your virtual assistant, there you go, please, get, please achieve this task. And then they, they get that work done without bothering you because it's, a, uh, it's not about bothering you. It's more about you've got things to do as well. It's not a case of just getting a team member in to do sourcing. What was you doing? As soon as you got a sourcer, what was you doing at that time? Because you're not then sat on the beach, you know, living the laptop lifestyle. You're still working, right? Yeah, yep. So I was just sourcing along with them. And I was still doing the reviewing of the products, still doing the purchasing of the products and managing my Amazon seller account. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, so that's huge. So, so you start getting the team members, you start practicing, uh, you know, outsourcing, you pr start practicing the management of a, a virtual assistant and uh, creating working procedures. And was it just more of a keep hiring you know, what, what was it that you were doing at that point? Was you just keep expanding, keep looking at where you can grow, what you could learn? So some specific tools that maybe you started using. So you started using a repricer. Why would somebody use a repricer at this point? Sure, sure, yeah. So I added some more sourcers at the same time, but also, yeah, there were several tools that I was using. I started using Inventory Lab there, I want to say like April of 2018, somewhere in there, which... It's a, pro, it's a program in the U.S., but it tracks everything for you. So you can track COGS, you can track refunds, you can track dis, 
disbursements. There we go, disbursements, and all a bunch of other things. And and with the repricer, I was just using re, reprice it, so just real cheap one. And um, yeah, using more of those kind of tools. But those were probably the ultimate ones for Amazon. And then for the communication with the VAs and I, that was in Slack. So Slack for that, and then Inventory Lab and Reprice It were probably the main ones. So is, are, they, are they the ones that you're using right now as well, or has things evolved since then? They evolved um, in some respects. There's no more Reprice It because it's, it's not like a continuous repricer, so it won't do it all the time, and it operates on a schedule. So now I'm using Repricer Express, which is pretty awesome because it's continuous. It also has like some bulk edits and stuff, so you can change things in that respect. And then now it even has rules and automations for when a product gets to 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. So it's, it's pretty awesome. Like I can't see anything else right now, at least at the cost and the, and, the, and the value it gives you. There's not much else that's around there, really. Yeah, and, and uh, at what level did you start to use a repricer? Because uh, we get the, I get asked this quite often, and uh, some, some people think that, like, oh, do I start using a repricer when I have 50 products for sale or 100 products for sale? To me, I've always said that within, within 20, 30 products, different products for sale, the, the issue you have, because buy boxes are always changing and, the, and, and prices are always changing, the minute you you manually go in and sort of uh, you know as soon as you manually change a price to try getting that buy box, as soon as you leave it, it could change again. So um, I always think it's very early. Would you would you say the same? At what level did you get a reprice, Jake? Was it right at the start when you only had like small amounts of products? Yeah, I would say it was probably there. I think I started using reprice it probably in late 2017. So yeah, at that point, I probably only had maybe 20 to 30 different SKUs. So yeah, I'd start, it, I'd start right about then too, just because it's so useful. Like you're going to have, the first day you turn it on, you're just going to be amazed. Just make sure you set your mins and maxes right and all that. Otherwise, it can get a little funky on you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you want to explain that for somebody that doesn't, that doesn't know the, the insights if, if somebody's watching this right now who has like just looking to get into start started with Amazon has no idea what you've just said there in terms of mins and maxes repricing what do you what do you mean by the whole pricing of your products we'll go a little bit into that shall we yeah yeah so Kev was mentioning how the buy box changes all the time so in order to remain competitive you want to make sure that you're running after that buy box price as well and so what a repricer can do is it can automatically change your prices to meet that buy box or to do certain rules that you put in the repricer. So one of the other things that, um, that, it, that it helps with is just is managing all those. So what you do is for each SKU, you can set, this is the minimum price that I want it to ever go down to, and this is the maximum price that it should ever go up to. Now, uh, minimum price is kind of like what's your bottom line. So you want to make 20% on that product. You want to make 30% on the product. That's what you would price it at. So let's say you have um, a $10 product that you bought for, or sorry, a five, a $10 product. You paid $10 and it sells for 20 right now and say you want a 30%. So your minimum would be $13. I believe I got that right. <laughs> and and um, right now, I mean, the maximum is, 
we haven't really actually talked a whole lot about maximum until recently. Now it's really important because of the different laws and things that are in play right now with um, state of emergency laws. So in other words, we have to stay a certain amount within the average pricing. Otherwise it's uh, it's a, it's a misdemeanor, not a misdemeanor, but it's enforceable legally when you're jacking up the price like crazy. Yeah. And, and that's huge because a big part of this, you would not have got to where you are right now if it wasn't for the correct management of your pricing. Because when, I think it's a trap that people can get into when they first start and they see maybe they've done like, oh, I've got, I've got $100 worth of sales or I've got a, a, a hundred pounds worth of sales. But that's just obviously your revenue. That's not taking into account your Amazon fees and your, your purchasing fees and maybe your staff costs and material costs and all these different things. And if you don't get that right, if you don't get that right, you can very quickly, because I mean, how many products have you sold for that millions? I think I, think I saw on, on this, just to put in perspective, um, we had, you got over 17,000 different units ordered through on, on that screenshot when you, when you did the, the story on Instagram or on the page on your Instagram profile. So that's 17,000 different products that you've sold that you've had to correctly price. And if you hadn't done that correctly, I mean, there's no way you get anywhere near a million because you just, you just run out of money. Right. Either that <laughs> or you tie up all your money, Kev, because you wouldn't have it competitive. So it'd just be sitting there doing nothing. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, okay then. So a, a big part of this then you've, we've covered, you've got, you start with a team, you started to scale up. Um, what about your sort of criteria then for somebody who's saying, well, how to identify a product? How, how have you sort of identified products to, to sell over the last sort of three years that's got you to where you are? It's continually adapted through the years, but ultimately it's at least a 30% ROI, at least $2.70 bringing in. Um, and like I say, it's adapted since then. So we, at, for sales rank, we're looking at basically anything under a hundred thousand. So a sales rank is the lower number, the faster it sells. So we don't want to go above a hundred thousand or generally, like I say, these are kind of loose because last Q4, I think we went all the way up to almost 200,000. Um, so it, it does fluctuate a little bit. And then as far as like oversized item, that kind of thing, uh, we generally want something that fits in a shoebox. I guess I don't have to grab a shoebox. Most people know what a shoebox is. And, uh, you know, it has to be something that we can sell. As you mentioned earlier about uh, gated and restricted categories, there still are some of that. So we always check that kind of thing too. So that's yeah. kind of what we're looking at. But like I say, it's evolved. So now we're looking at how many other people are selling it. We're looking at um, how many units on a replenishment standpoint, you know, how many units have we sold before and what do we expect the demand to be now? How many variations does that product have? Uh, you can run into shoes sometime where there's 30 of them, but the sales rank might be 6,000. So it's not entirely true. Um, so we have, you know, we kind of evolved past that point now, but it was that basic 30% 270. And, and that's, that's really, really important. Uh, when you're just getting started out, you are not just purchasing everything. You're not just buying everything that you can get to. You're not just going to go into a store and just fill up your, your basket um, 
until you run out of money. You've got to strategically sort of find the product that you you want to to purchase to sell, which is which is basically what Jake was just saying there with the different. Um, there's a little bit more involved in terms of like uh, looking at the the tools you may be using, like Keeper. Keeper just allows you to track the price history, the seller rank history. So there's a there's a there's a little bit more analysis that's involved, but in general, again, getting to where Jake is right now, who's over a million dollar sales at this point, you have to select the right products. You cannot just blindly purchase. It's just it's just not gonna work. Um Okay then, Jake. So let, let's let's step up the gear a little bit. So we are um, at this point. You've started to hire. You've started to systemize. You've started to uh, create some procedures and things. So you must be getting. What did it feel like coming up towards? Am I going to quit the job or not? And what were the what was the? Because I remember talking to you all the way throughout this period of uh, you were you're working full time still. You've got your Amazon business. And I was blown away that you managed to scale your Amazon business to where you did while working full time. So how was that whole process from a, from a personal point of view for you, but from your family point of view? And really, what was the considerations prior to quitting your job? Right. Okay. So in the beginning of 2019, I set a goal that by the end of June, I would be full time. But that's pie in the sky if you don't have a plan. So leading up to it, we just, we continued to make sure that everybody knew their role really well. So there's people that there's VAs that are sourcing. Then there's a reviewer that looks and makes sure that, Hey, are these products actually what they say they are? Are they good? Are they sellable? And then there's somebody above that well, not above, I guess. Next step would be somebody that actually purchases it and, um, and, and deals with the team performance. So I wanted to make sure that Everything was in place there. As far as everybody understood their role, everything seemed to be consistent and going forward. Then it was all about the numbers from there. So this is where there was quite a bit of work and just making sure that I had all the missing uh, cogs in there, cost of goods sold, because all the time there's ones missing. Uh, but I wanted to make sure they were in there so that I had a super exact number as to, all right, this is how much money we made in February. This is how much money we made in March. And so getting all those costs, even beyond the COGS, so the cost of the prep impact, the cost of the virtual assistants, um, any type of like supplies and all those kinds of things. So just knowing those, that number really well and then charting it over several months. And then I was able to see that, okay, it is practical that I take out, I think, is it $1,600? Something, something like that. Maybe it's, whatever it is, six, a $1,600. It's practical that I take out, let's say, a $1,600 wage every two weeks because it will still work based on these numbers. Which is key, right? Which is, which is absolutely key, because if you're going to, if you're going to, up until that point, up until that point with you, Jake, did you, was you just 100% just recycling all your profits? You wasn't taking anything out at all, apart from tools and employees. You, you didn't pay yourself at all, right? Correct. So as soon as you start now taking some money out for yourself and for your family to live, obviously you're going to, you need to maintain a, a certain level of revenue and a certain level of profitability in your business to be able to take out on a monthly basis some of your money. Um, so 
Oh, you, you said there for a whole six month period, you, you was going into 2019, you wanted to be out by the, the June. Um, was, did you start doing some, did you save some money? Did you trial taking money out? What, what would you say if somebody here is watching this and thinking to themselves, do I quit my job now or do I not? I don't know. They're, they're going through some uncertainty right now. Potential, I don't know which way I'm going. What, what recommendation would you give to them? Right. I guess I should have elaborated more on that earlier too. And that is that it is scary. You know, it's very scary because there's a lot of uncertainty. And I say this a lot, but when you build your house in somebody else's land, you have to play by their rules. And AKA when you're on the Amazon marketplace, they dictate the rules. So not to get too far off track, but like recently with changes that happen in a day that you can only send these six categories of products to FBA. So it is scary. It was just a matter, though, of, of yeah, of, of knowing all those numbers and, and seeing where it was going because it's a bummer that you have to take money out now because when you're just rolling the money back in there all the time, you just build, 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 build. Um, so knowing that it was, it was sound. And then, of course, like not so much did I start that in, in 2019, but just prior to that, my wife and I, the way that we did our finances is – well, we started that way. I think it ended up like, 50, I'll, I'll say the way it ended because I don't, yeah, it might be better. The way that it ended is every paycheck that we made, we took 55% of our wages and put it in the joint checking account. And then we took seven, seven or 10, seven, maybe it's five, five or seven percent and that went into savings. And then that last 40% would be for our own uh, individual account. So it was done for a couple of reasons, but also just to make a really simple budget because we knew with the 55% that that was basically just a pass-through. Bills come in, bills come out, money's in, money's out. Whereas the savings was like trips or bigger expenditures. And then the individual was, uh, you know, I want to get a fishing pole or something. I can go just buy it, you know, instead of like, oh, do we have enough money or honey, do you mind? And so the whole point of that was I don't really buy a whole lot for my, or I didn't buy a whole lot for myself then. I guess I still don't really here and there, but anyways, that just kept growing and growing and growing. So I was feeling pretty confident when I finally said, okay, I, you know, here's my two weeks. I'd like to go because I had, I'm going to get this wrong, but I want to say I had about six months of wages saved up between what I had in savings and between my, um, my brokerage account. I had about six months of wages. And that doesn't even include um, like the pension or whatever and the IRA. So, you know, I knew I had it almost at least, I guess, yeah, I had at least, excuse me, six months of wages to contribute that $1,600. Yeah, and, and you, made a, you made some really, really key, key points there when it comes from a money management point of view. And that is... I learned this when I went to, um, back in October of 2016, I think it was, I ended up going to a seminar called uh, The Millionaire Mind Intensive by T. Harv Aker. Have you, uh, have, you, have you read the book or anything? Or have you listened to it or anything? Yeah, it's fantastic. Oh, yeah. I loved it. It's a great, a great seminar. I really loved it. But um, in that seminar, I, I actually learned for the first time, because nobody really taught me this as I grew up, um, to manage your money correctly in terms of like different percentages. So 55% for your necessities and like 
10% for your long-term saving and 10% for your financial freedom and, you know, 10% for play or, or whatever. So having, having sort of budgets and um, having clear defined sort of bank accounts where, where money's going in and transferring straight out, that's a, that's a really, really key, um, that's, a, that's a key habit and a way of living to get to, especially not just from a personal point of view, but from a you know business point of view and personal point of view. So, do you remember the the date um, that you handed in your notice? I've got oh, it right I'm here. Really good, dang! I have a <laughs> copy of it and everything, but I don't. I should really write that one down. Okay, so uh, I'm sure we could work this out. I'm not sure. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's on there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so we got this. Is this is Jake? I'm gonna show this. I don't know. Oh, you got it. Oh, you got it already. You dug it up. There's, there's Jake. I'm not sure when you're gonna be able to see it very well, but um, this is Jake. You, you mentioned just prior that you wanted to quit the job by the June, and you posted this on the 19th of June. On the 19th of June, 2019, saying that I gave my two weeks notice last Friday. So um, even today, five days later, right? So it, that was on the 19th of June, five days later, 14th of June, 2019. You handed in your notice after six months prior. You said, I'm going to hand my notice in, in the June. And you did it. I mean, love it. Awesome. I mean, no wonder. No <laughs> No wonder that you, you had a great pose up there at your desk. And no wonder you had a bit of the, the, the thumbs up right there. Uh, I forgot congratulations. about that one. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. That, that's awesome. So how, how did that feel when you was handed in your notice? It felt really good. It felt really scary, though. Um, that wasn't – or wait, was it or wasn't it? No, it wasn't one of the longer jobs I had. I think the longest job I had was for four and a half years. And this just fell shortly under it. But um, it, was just, it was exhilarating to know that, all right, all right, we're getting to the next part of what this looks like. You know, more freedom, more things like that. So really exhilarating. And I guess I never touched on what Mama thought about all this. It took a while to convince her, to show her that, hey, I have six months of wages, and this is what the last six months of the business income sheet, or however you would say, monthly operating sheet looks like. So, yeah, but it was exhilarating and it still kind of is because, you know, you have to adapt to stuff. I mean, I touched on the six categories, but you have to adapt to stuff like over there, no more than 35 kilograms now in a box. Like you have to adapt. You have to adapt. It's it's, it's insane. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing, but I, I absolutely love, I love the fact that, you know, you, you obviously shared that fantastic post, um, you know, six months after you decided that. And when you, when you felt that, when you experienced that first freedom, that's ultimately what it is. You, you've now quit your job and now you're working for yourself. What did that feel like for yourself and your family and, the, and you know, and your small children that you've got at that point? It, um, it was definitely a change because, you know, daddy, go, daddy going to work or we drive past where I used to work and, Daddy works there, and it's it's hard to explain to a, a one and a three year old or a two and four year old where <laughs> I don't work there anymore, buddy. Like, so yeah. it was a, definitely a change. And then it was probably a week later, maybe two. 
Mama's already like, all right, we don't have to live her anymore. Let's, you know, let's move. <laughs> what? So it yeah. was, then we wanted to move. And then we ultimately <laughs> built the house we're in now. And it was just like, <laughs> yeah, you know, that. thing after thing after thing. Uh, it's, it happens. It, I mean, it's fantastic. I, I have the, you know, I, I remember very, very well. I, um, so I, I handed my notice in. It was December it was December the 5th and um, I'd never experienced a Q1 before. Um, so I handed my notice in and then Q1 happened and I was like, oh my God, I've got to get this working now. But uh, I remember very, very well because me and Kylie both quit our jobs both at the same time. So Kylie wasn't going back. I wasn't going back. And I remember very, very well that first Monday, um, you're so used to going to work and I, I used to work from eight to four every day. So I, I used to be at work for about half past seven in the morning or something. And I just remember very well just sort of going, well, this is a strange Monday. And at first, you feel like you're on, just on holiday. Did you feel like that? You're just like some time off work. You've just got like a, a week holiday, a two-week holiday. But it's very, very surreal. It's very surreal indeed. Yeah, I felt the same way. It was, hey, I can wear sweatpants all day or, or whatever. I definitely felt yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You can wear what you want. Uh, fortunately, um, yeah, I mean, it, but then it comes discipline, right? So it, it, now you have to be disciplined. And that's been a part of your journey as well. So it's all well and good. You've now quit your job. Again, you're not out at a beach. You're not there, you know, laptop lifestyle, four-hour work week. You're now putting in, was you doing more work? Was you more disciplined throughout the day? Was you planning your date? You're now not going to, to work for somebody else. You're going to work for, for you. So um, did you start setting up places to work around your house where you could go to? Yeah, ultimately tried to keep the work in the, in the area for the Amazon prep area. Kind of like this, this uh, interview right now. I'm in the storage room and the Amazon room is right behind this wall with a bunch of products, like an insane amount. But it yeah it essentially came down to just organize like you are you are the boss nobody's going to tell you what to do which is good it's cool in one respect and it's not cool in another because you have to be responsible for what you're doing during the day and are you bringing in money or as you say growth and maintenance tasks you know what are you doing huge that's that's everything now because the reality is you've got a family to look after You've you've got to you've got to keep your Amazon business going. You've got to keep sourcing. You've got to keep things going, and the and it's unforgiving. I mean, at the end of the day, if you don't keep going, and it's surreal to me now. I'm now in my fourth year. It's been four years since I quit my job, and I've been working technically for myself, being sustainable myself without having to go, uh, you know, work um, as an electrical engineer. And, and still, after four years, you know, if, if, if all of a sudden you just stop working and you don't maintain it, eventually, you know, eventually it will all disappear and it'll all, you've got to keep maintaining, you've got to maintain where you're at, but you've got to keep growing, you've got to keep growing. So, um, so where, where are you going now then, Jake? So you've, you've got to this point, you've, we've gone into a, a new year, this, this new year has proved to be one of the most craziest years ever with this current time with um you know un unfortunately this this pandemic that's going around right now 
which has made a lot of uncertainty in business, personal life, health. Um, so who would have thought that that would happen going into 2020, a brand new decade? Nobody would have thought that we would be going through this. But what's your visions for the future right now, Jake? What, what is it? What are you building towards? What's, at what point do you go, do you know what? I, I'm, I'm happy now. I'm, I'm happy with the way I'm living my life. What, what's the goal that you're working towards? I would, it is very uncertain during this time due to the way that these last, like, it's only been like a week and a half of this. I mean, it, it's, maybe it's been two and a half now, but it, it's wild. It's just wild. Um, so still the ultimate goal is, of course, to have that freedom. So freedom to me just means like putting in less time of going to the stores or fixing like on an operations level the problems with the VAs. But um, so working towards that more, but I'd say like the most immediate goal that comes to mind is just, I know, I, I think I maybe even said in the last video, but just getting to wholesale, I still can't bridge that gap very well. Like I have some places that are um, open to the public, but it is like wholesale. Like when specials come up, I get, you know, 60 units of this toy or whatever, 40 units of that baby item. Um, however, it's still not quite there. So uh, one thing, though, I will say this. This is an idea. This isn't – I don't know how what I think about this anymore. But I think this last two and a half weeks has just shown us the whole idea about having those multiple streams of income. And I, I don't know. It might be kind of fun to maybe find a brand that I can work with. And we build, yes, on Amazon, but then we also go somewhere else with it. You know, Walmart, Jet, in stores, wherever. So my mind is sort of – you know, it's turning in that respect too. Cause it, you know, it, it'd kind of be nice when you build some, your house in somebody else's land, you got to play by the rules. So. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so true. I, I, um, I tried to define the, the, the other, the other week. Um, you've, you've got different phases of you building an Amazon business really. And phase one is when you, all you want to do is build your business and you are doing everything you can to build your business on Amazon's land. That's all you're doing. Your entire intention, your focus is towards Amazon. Then once you've quit your job and now you're like, right, I've got my house. It's on Amazon. Now you've got to be aware that you, you are on somebody else's land, which means that they can change rules on you, which means as soon as you've quit your job, you're now vulnerable because while you've got your job, you've got a fallback. If Amazon change, you're like, okay, I've still got my job. But while you, now you've not got your job, you've then got to, you've got to change your focus somewhere. You've got to be like, okay, I, I now need to protect myself long-term. And I learned this in 2017. I mean, in 2017, you're in phase one and you're building on Amazon. I'm in phase two because me and you are only, you know, we're only sort of 18 months apart, 20 months apart of really starting. I then got suspended from Amazon. This was when, you know, times, times weren't as they are now with a, a coronavirus and a pandemic. Um, but I got suspended on Amazon. And at that point, I had an employee. I had the warehouse. I had me, Kylie, I had virtual team. And my, my income went to zero overnight. It was, it was quite, it was, a, it was a real awakening that you do have to start thinking about other streams of income. You do have to start thinking about. In your case, you've got a great you've got a great idea there. 
when you start working, when you start evolving to wholesale and you start building relationship with wholesalers or you start finding a brand, you, you either look at a brand that you can start to work with. I was just trying to find an item that I could show or whatever. But I mean, in my case, I'm working on my own personal brand. You know, this is, this is my own brand. So I'm now just working on that. And this is an asset for me, which it might take me one, two, five years, 10 years to get it to where I want it to be. But at least nobody can take that away from me. You see what I mean? And, and that's, where, um, that's where you've got a choice now, Jake. You either, you, either uh, you start to work with somebody else's brand and you maybe start to become like a consultant to that brand. You may have a part to play in that brand. You may even buy the brand. You can buy brands nowadays or you, you build your own brand. So are you more going towards you, you working with other brands? Is that where your future lies? That seems like the most immediate or 2020 goal. Um, I, I would say a warehouse. I just want to see where the dust settles and then it's mm. probably going to be in there as well. But as far as like an actual goal, goal like uh, multiple streams, it seems like the brand thing might be the best just because, you know, I still will have the Amazon business, of course, but I really want to build something off of there, especially after this, you know, Absolutely. not that I've been penalized or suspended or anything, but just to change it so quickly. And then you're doing this and then you're doing that. And then, you know, you can't do inventory removals right now. Like I can't imagine being a private label seller right now with something where you're like, okay, Amazon doesn't want to send non-essentials. I'll just take the, take it and put it on jet.com or somewhere else. Well, you can't now cause they're not doing that or they're delaying those, I guess. So it's just, so, so what yeah. it's the wild, wild west right now. It's, uh, it's, it's, unfortunately this is this is unprecedented times and we don't know really what the future holds all we can do is do our best and i just wanted to i just wanted to say thank you for your time today jake i know that um you're very very busy uh, throughout this time just while me and you were talking who knows something may else have changed that's how wild west it is right now but um for you guys that are here right now there's a couple of things that i wanted to to say if you have enjoyed this please give it a thumbs up. Please give uh, Jake a thumbs up for his time sharing his story. I also recommend that you check out the Tribe of Arbitrages because Jake, he is a feature right here. This is, this is, this is Jake. You can see him right there. Fantastic. fantastic. Yeah, it's a great picture. It's fantastic sort of, um, fantastic answers to the Tribe of Arbitrages book there. But Jake is, he's on Instagram. He's on YouTube. He's there to support you. Where can people find you, Jake? Where, where are you hanging out the most online? Yeah, as Kev was saying, YouTube and Instagram are probably the big ones. YouTube is just Jake Diego. And then Instagram, I couldn't get that handle. So it's Diego. Yeah, and I, I, will, um, I will put a, a link to, to Jake's uh, Instagram, his YouTube. Check out his YouTube. Fantastic. I, I love the content that you're doing there, Jake. And um, your, your Instagram as well. Fantastic behind-the-scenes stories. Really, really, really educational. If you want to, if you really want to follow somebody who is actively in the business, who's actively on the journey right now, you know, there's 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 nobody um, there's nobody better, I don't think, than than yourself, Jake, because you're super honest, super super useful. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for for your time today. I appreciate that, Kevin. Also, yeah, check that book out. I only have the electronic version, so I don't know if I missed that page or what. But that's a yeah, good. 
good stuff. Yeah, yeah. And um, did you, did you just before we get going, did you have any final last words? Did you want to say anything to anybody and say um, anything at all? I guess a lot of times when I was, you know, thinking about doing things in the past, such as when I mentioned like the stocks and options stuff, and I uh, had a thing about writing a book and anyways, all these different things. It was a matter of just going and finally doing that thing. So, you know, if this is something that you're interested in, then go to Google Amazon seller, create an account, put in your information and start doing it now. Don't wait. You don't need to know everything before you start embarking on that journey. Well said. And on that massive action bombshell, we will end the video. Uh, thank you so much for watching. I hope this has been useful. Please comment down below. Let Jake know what your, your thoughts are. Please share it with your friends. Share it with your communities. If you want any sort of um, success story, a reference for success, I think real people um, are a real inspiration to many of us because you don't have to be some, you know, you don't have to be in any way sort of um, um, gifted or talented or some celebrity or anything like that. All you really need is a real reason to take massive action and have the, the mindset, the psychology, the, the ultimately the, the drive the determination and you'll achieve whatever you want. So, and Jake is just a fantastic example of that. So thank you so much for watching. I hope you have an outstanding day. Keep taking massive action. And from me and Jake, until next time, bye-bye. Take care, guys. Thanks for watching. Thanks for having me on, Kev. <laughs> <laughs>